Welcome to Living Out Loud, Storytelling for Social Change, the podcast where we come together as a community to share our stories and consider alternative perspectives on a wide range of topics. By sharing our stories, each and every one of us can help create the world we want to live in. Storytelling has the power to open minds, touch hearts, and inspire empathy and solidarity. It can move us to think and then act. The opinions and views expressed in this podcast are those of the faculty, staff, and student guests of each episode, but do not necessarily represent the views of Merrimack College. Hi, everyone. I'm Deborah Michaels, Director of Women's and Gender Studies at Merrimack College and the executive producer of this podcast, Living Out Loud, Storytelling for Social Change. Our show's mission is that through sharing stories, we seek to raise awareness, offer new perspectives, and that in turn has the power to open minds and potentially change our world. Today, we're honored to be doing a very special episode about what it means to come out when you're LGBTQ+. Coming out stories are a fact of life and an ongoing experience for everyone who identifies as LGBTQ. We'll explore what this means for members of our LGBTQ community. With me today is my student producer, Amelia Alger, who is a senior majoring in human development with a minor in women's and gender studies. Glad to have you with us today, Amelia. Thank you, Dr. Michaels. Um, As she said, my name is Amelia and I'm really happy to be here. Sharing these stories is so personal and politically powerful and we're very grateful to have some awesome people on this Living Out Loud episode. Our special guests today are four members of the executive board of the student group Gender and Sexuality Alliance here to discuss this important topic and share their stories. We'd first like to welcome Sam, if you wouldn't mind saying a few words about yourself. Hi, I'm Sam. I am the president of the Gender and Sexuality Alliance, and I use she, her pronouns. Thank you so much. Um, Next, we'd like to introduce Haley. Hi, I'm Haley. I'm a senior. I'm the vice president of the Gender and Sexuality Alliance, and I use she, her pronouns. Thank you. Next up, we would like to introduce Nicole. Hi, my name is Nicole. I am a junior and I'm the secretary of the Gender and Sexuality Alliance and I am, I use she, her pronouns. Thank you. And then lastly, we'd like to welcome Rowan. Hi everyone. Uh, My name is Rowan. I'm the treasurer of the e-board and my pronouns are he, him. Great. Thank you all. You know, people familiar with your organization may uh, remember that it was once upon a time called the Gay Straight Alliance. Can you tell me about the name change a little bit, Sam? Absolutely, yeah. So about three or four years ago, um, the student org decided to make a shift. So like you said, it used to be the Gay Straight Alliance and that is very common across other colleges, universities, and even high schools. Um, But they decided to make the shift to the Gender and Sexuality Alliance because it's just a much more inclusive language. It's much less binary and it's about people of all identities rather than just this gay or straight. So that was really like the big push for that. Um, Just kind of a little plug for our organization. Um, Every year we tend to meet about the same times. It's usually bi-weekly on Mondays from 5 to 6 p.m. Our meetings really go from one extreme to the other. We do like super informative meetings about things that people have told us they want to hear about. That could be anything from drag queens to just hearing about like what bisexuality really means, what it means to be transgender, to also just like having fun. We have meetings where we just like hang out, we color, we tell stories, just kind of bond. The whole point is just to create this welcoming environment for people of all identities, whether you are 
in the queer community, whether you are just really not sure where you stand right now or whether you're an ally, just a space for everyone to feel safe and welcomed. That's great. I think your organization is so important and it's really important for members of our community to know um, that this group exists and that there's a space to have these conversations. So welcome and thank you all for your generosity in joining us today. Let's start by talking about what it means to come out, how you decided when, how, and to whom you wanted to share this part of yourself and what that experience was like for you. And you know, anything, who did you choose to tell first and why? And where would you like to begin? How, how do you think about the moment of coming out? Haley, would you like to go first? Sure, so um, I think that coming out is not quite just a moment. Um, so people who uh, don't have the experience of coming out um, might assume that it's just this one and done sort of situation where you come out and then you're out and then you move on with your life. When in reality, it's a long process. There, depending on each person, there are you know months, years of coming out to yourself, accepting yourself and figuring out who in your life you feel comfortable with telling this information to. Um, so in my experience, I thought about this a lot for like a year, year and a half before finally telling one of my best friends first. Um, and it would still be time after that before um, I came out to family. It's really a process. Um, and, you know, I've come out several times in several different circles, but I will continue to for the rest of my life um, because that is the nature of having a queer identity, um, really in whatever space, in whatever relationship, in whatever situation with family, um, you have to continuously be coming out. So if anything, you if you take anything away from what I'm just saying, it's that it's a process. It's not just quite that moment that people think it might be. That's a really important point that you're making. Rowan, did you wanna add something on that and, and share your stories? Yeah, sure. Um, I definitely would agree with Haley that it's it's not just one linear kind of coming out experience. Um, I would say that I, I had thought about everything and myself being trans and my gender identity and my, sexual, uh, my sexuality for years and years before I came out. It was, it was a huge internal process before I even thought about sharing it with anybody else. And um, it, it, was, it was definitely more of an internal process than an external process. I'd say like telling people was honestly kind of the, the it, I don't wanna say easiest part, but definitely like the, the shortest kind of quickest part. Um, and I, I, I also told one of my closest friends and then just kind of went from there. But it was years later, probably like three or four years later until I told family, until I was like out publicly. It kind of started as a small circle thing, then a little bit larger of a circle thing. And then finally, like the majority of my world. Um, but I'm definitely still coming out right now. It's, it is definitely a process. So Haley was definitely right about that. Do you agree, Nicole? Is it a is it a process? Is it an ongoing process? Yeah, I would definitely say it's a process for me. I felt that I had to be a little bit more intentional because my older cousin and my older sister both came out before I did. So it was like, how do I come out in the context of making it my own experience and not kind of being grouped in with them and how they feel um, and how they did it? Um, so I definitely think it's a process. You know, I started with telling my older sister because she was already out. I felt I was most comfortable in that context. And then four years later, I was telling my parents or 
it was definitely a year gap and uh, took a lot of thinking about how I was going to do it, but also when was I comfortable um, from going to my older sister who knew for a while and kept that with me <laughs> to going to my parents and how they would react. Sam, what do you think about all of this? I agree with everyone. It's definitely something that continues throughout your whole life. And for me personally, I'm very lucky and privileged that I didn't have to have this huge like coming out experience with my family. I knew that my parents were going to accept me because we had a lot of gay and bisexual relatives, um, plus our family friends. Like it was just something that I knew was not going to be a big deal. So I didn't even really come out to my family. I just kind of started bringing people to my house and my parents had some inklings were more than just friends and it kind of did get brought up eventually but it was never like this huge coming out experience for me for me it's more about like just like those like every day like when I meet someone new or I try to have a conversation about like past relationships or future ones that it just kind of gets dropped in there that, yeah, actually I don't only like men. (laughs) Um, So it's kind of more of like a covert way that I think I go about it, which I think is different than some people. And I'm very lucky to be able to have that experience where I didn't have to like sit down and like tell my parents and like wonder what their response was going to be. You all have mentioned that you think this is kind of a process rather than a single event and that in particular, it sounds like it's an ongoing process, something that you deal with regularly. I I hesitate to say every day of your life, but perhaps every day of your life. I don't want to put words in your mouths, but I I want to hear more about this idea of it being this ongoing process. Can, Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think most of the people listening right now just assume you come out once everybody knows it's a one and done kind of deal. And then you go on somehow and magically live your life as if the world somehow knows and accepts everything that you've done in this one instance. So I'd like to hear more about this ongoing aspect of coming out and and of sharing who you are. Um, I I would just say my experience um, from a trans perspective has definitely been very, weird in day-to-day kind of coming out experiences. Um, You get to that kind of point in in your social transition um, where basically everybody in your daily life who you encounter knows. Like I am addressed um, as my preferred name at school. Everybody in my family knows, like my extended family knows, all my friends know. Um, And then you get to those people that you see once every year or you bump into someone in your town and um, that, that is always weird, or those passing experiences, or, or your parents' friends. Um, so a lot of the times, my parents will have to kind of have a little spiel written down of what they're going to say when uh, their friends ask how their daughter is. Um, well, it's not my daughter anymore. It's now my son. And it's, it's kind of like a very weird experience to talk about that. But also for me... Um, coming out, I got my first job two years ago and um, I had to apply with my birth name and then I had to come out in a work environment. Um, So it's just, it's those little things that aren't necessarily day to day, but come up more often than you'd think. Um, And it's, it's kind of hard to almost bear a very vulnerable part of yourself to those people that you might see once every year. 
also to your extended family who you don't see very often and your extended family might have different beliefs than your immediate family and um, that can be very difficult. So it's, it's kind of juggling all aspects of it. I mean, you know, X amount of people in your life and sometimes you have to tell all of those people. Sometimes you don't, but in my case, I feel like because I am transitioning and I want to go on hormones and I want to get surgeries, it's kind of unavoidable to talk to people about it. Um, and it'll either come as a surprise to them or I'll have to preface it. Were they supportive at your workplace? They, they actually were. I was very lucky. Um, I came out to my boss and uh, I had expressed that I wanted to go by this name. And, um, and she was like, okay, just introduce yourself to people as such. And if anybody gives you a problem, send them my way. Um, and all the people that I work with are young college students. So a lot of them have also been very welcoming and very um, accepting and they're not scared to ask me questions. They're not scared to, um, uh, correct themselves. And they're, I, I, I lucked out a lot. I got a very good work environment. That's wonderful to hear. When you first mentioned that, I was sort of holding my breath a little bit. Um, Nicole, what do you think about all of this? I think, um, like everyone's saying, kind of go through different circles. So, you know, when I was in high school, it was intentional to my friends there. And then college was a huge shift to me, you know, finding I went random in the roommate selection. So making sure that they would be okay with it was super important. And then moving from there to make sure my family's okay. I think um, in those bigger circles, I kind of took the four-year approach. So it took, you know, time by time and coming out, that was almost, you know, on a timeline. And then I do find myself doing it pretty regularly, <laughs> as most people are saying. And I think it's important to realize that it's unlucky that I got met with acceptance, but there are a lot of circumstances where people aren't and um, we have to make those more normalized so people are okay with coming out or that they don't even have to at that point. Haley, what are your thoughts on this? Um, so I just wanted to add sort of like a different perspective. Um, you know, Rowan sort of talked on, you know, meeting just these random people uh, that you don't often see and sort of the experience of coming out. I sort of have this unique experience. Obviously, this is a podcast. You can't see me. But um, for a girl, I have very short hair. And generally, I dress more masculine than would typically be expected from someone who identifies as female. And so I often get like the weird one-off stare from people who don't quite understand that like they're trying to figure out my gender identity. Um, you know, the the funniest story I can sort of uh, put as an example here is uh, I work uh, I worked in a cafe and a little kid, maybe eight years old, came up to me and was like, are you a boy or a girl? I can't tell. Um, and obviously that is an extreme example, um, but I find myself often, you know, if I'm, you know, I grew up uh, in a fairly religious family, so I'm often, I often find myself in religious settings, and I always get that odd stare from people uh, a few pews behind me, and so I'm not necessarily coming out in those instances, and of course not every person who identifies as part of the LGBTQ community identifies with, like, a physical stereotype or a way that they express themselves. But I often find myself getting those sort of like eyes in public of trying to figure me out or trying to judge the way that I present myself um, without even having that interaction of, 
hi, like I'm Haley, like nice to meet you. It's sort of this one-off sort of like stare. So that's sort of when Roman was talking about those weird encounters in public that really sort of reminded me of some experiences that I've had with people that I don't even know and who don't talk to me or know me at all. Um, but I can feel that sort of judgment. Thank you, Haley, for sharing that. Um, Sam, what are your thoughts on this? Thanks so much. Yeah, I think what everyone is saying is so important. And we're all kind of alluding to this concept of like heteronormativity that like everyone is just like presumed to be straight and cisgender. And sometimes we physically don't meet people's expectations like Haley talked about. So they try to figure this out in like these really uncomfortable ways. Personally, I am very straight passing. So unless I outwardly tell someone that I am bisexual, they will not know. Um, and that's something that also has just kind of been difficult for me throughout my life with um, dealing with biphobia and things like that. And just having to come out all the time. Like we're all just talking about this process that because you're assumed to be one way in order for people to know who you are and a big part of your identity, like it's a big part for me, something I'm really proud of. And so having to come out all the time in order for people to know that side of me, but then also having a little bit of that fear of like, okay, if I say this, cause I'm proud of it, what am I going to be met with? So it definitely can be a little bit of a struggle, but also sometimes an empowering thing. Thank you, Sam. Um, Rowan, did you have something to say about this? Yeah. So Haley brought up a very good point um, and Sam kind of touched on it a little bit is this idea of kind of uh, passing and in the trans community, um, the term passing kind of means whether or not you are uh, socially perceived as um, the gender identity that you are. So um, for me, it would be, am I perceived as a cisgendered man? Um, and most of the times I'm not like in public at my workplace. Um, I'm a lifeguard. I work with like lots of kids and a lot of the time I'll get the same question that Haley does because kids, you know, they don't really understand. Um, and it's, it's hard to kind of gauge, well, should I correct this person? If I'm in Walmart and somebody and like somebody addresses me with she, her pronouns, well, I'm never going to see this Walmart person again, but it definitely made me uncomfortable that I was misgendered. So do I correct them? Do I leave it alone? Um, and it brings up that idea of, well, do I come out to these people or do I just go about my day? Um, even though I have the right to be addressed as um, my preferred pronouns. And I, it's, it's weird. It's very weird. I definitely agree with Haley about those stares of kind of, people trying to find out what is going on because I might not meet the standard for um, a cisgender person. And so I do, I get lots of stares. I have had friends who have told me that when they first met me, they weren't quite sure whether I was a boy or a girl or non-binary or anything else. And it is, it's weird to know that you always have those eyes on you. And then you always kind of have to be guessing whether or not, um, at least as a trans person from my experience, I'm going to be perceived as I want to be. Um, and then there's that pressure to kind of live up to some societal norm of this is how I should be dressing. This is what I should um, be walking like. This is what my voice should sound like. This is how tall I should be. Um, certain societal expectations that I, I just can't meet. Um, and so so that's that kind of ties into that coming out experience with random people is, um, if I'm in class and I get misgendered, do I correct this person? There was someone from my psychology class last year who um, 
first day addressed me with she, her pronouns. Every time I see her, she'll, we'll walk past each other and she'll say, Hey girl. And I, I, I haven't corrected her yet. Cause I just, I, it's hard to. Um, so it's, it's definitely a weird experience for those people that you barely see. Um, especially from a trans perspective, I'd imagine that, um, the others would have a better perspective on, uh, other things, but at least from a trans perspective, it's definitely very weird. This is fascinating, actually. I um, Sam brought up an interesting point about the world looking at all of us, every one of us, right? The public looks at, we've been trained to size each other up and quickly put each other in boxes within seconds of meeting each other. And when um, Sam mentioned the ability to pass, um, I wonder how important passing is for the rest of you. It, because, you know, in the world that I want to live in, we, we would all be free to be whoever we are, label free, um, without this pressure to fit in the box, without this pressure to be easily identifiable. Um, but I wonder, um, you know, as you all talk about this issue, um, how important is, is, you know, is passing something you think about? Does it matter? Is this, you know, is some of the pressure you feel this, this pressure to be easily identified and put in a box? What do you think, Haley? Um, so I can sort of speak on this. Uh, so, you know, obviously my experience is different than Rowan in the sense that like, they're just different things. However, I definitely found myself for a long time um, throughout high school, and even if you knew me the first year of college, which I don't think anyone here did, and I'm glad, um, I dressed like very feminine. You know, I would wear dresses, I would put on makeup, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things. I think that a lot of people find those things very empowering and really um, makes them feel confident. But for me, it was an experience of, oh, I just don't want to stand out. So I'm going to do this because everyone else does. I feel really uncomfortable, for example, dressing in tight clothing, but I'm going to do that because that's what, and of course, that is a flawed conception of femininity. And I will absolutely like love to have a conversation about how that is problematic to put women into certain boxes. However, it was difficult for me to overcome that discomfort and to say, hey, actually what would make me feel really comfortable is to cut all my hair off. Um, what would make me feel comfortable is to wear pants instead of a skirt. Um, and that has been a long process of accepting the fact that it's okay to dress how I want to. Um, and it, even if that means that I'm not passing as straight anymore, even if that means that people will view me differently, it's a process of learning to accept that this is what will make me happy, what will make me feel confident. And that's why I do it. What about the rest of you? Any thoughts on this notion of passing, fitting in, not fitting in, master of your own destiny? What do you think, uh, Nicole and then Sam? Yeah, I think that for me, um, people get maybe sometimes confused because some days I dress more feminine and I'll wear a dress and it's fine. And other days, or most days, I typically dress more masculine. So um, people are just like, what? <laughs> like pick one or how are you both or things like that. Um, I kind of agree in high school, I didn't really know my 
style or, or what I was comfortable with. So it was easy for me to just be like, oh, well, I have two sisters, so they'll wear a dress, I'll wear a dress to this banquet, or like they're doing this, so I will also do that because they're both very feminine, which is totally cool. Um, but then also in high school, we're all like, oh, my mom, like I had a best friend in high school that was a man and um, it was always, when are you two dating? Like, when are you two gonna get together? And I deal, dealt with that for four years. <laughs> I'm just like, when is this gonna happen? And we're always like, it's not like fun fact. And I didn't come out to the context of like my whole high school. So I just dealt with that for four years. So that was definitely an annoyance. And then going into college was definitely nice to kind of find myself and my style. And um, I've definitely been very fluid in the fact of, am I feminine, more masculine? And then like being bisexual also some days I'm, my label has changed drastically over the past, even just two years from like bi to back to lesbian to, you know, the labels that I feel comfortable with um, kind of depend on the day, <laughs> which I think a lot of people don't understand um, the fluidity of really everything, whether that's how you, um, dress, how you um, feel, who you date, things like that. I think people don't totally take that into consideration. It's either you're feminine and you're that, or you're masculine and you're that. And if you're bi, you have to date both. It has to, you know, rotate man, woman, man, woman, and you go on until you find the final one or however they want to go about it. <laughs> Sam, did you want to add to that? Yeah, I think those were like super important points. And like I said, I am definitely straight passing that no one really knows my sexual orientation until I mention that I have dated a girl or I'm just like I blatantly tell them. And I definitely think that's a huge privilege, especially in the society that we live in. Like I can easily go about my day and not have anyone question me or discriminate against me based on my sexual orientation unless they know because they wouldn't know unless I told them. So I definitely think that it's a huge privilege in our society. I wish that it wasn't. I wish that, like you said, we could all just be who we are and no one would judge us or discriminate against us because of that. But unfortunately, we do live in a society in which straight passing or cis passing is super important, especially for our safety, which can be really frustrating as we shouldn't have to fit into these boxes in order to feel safe just living our daily lives. Yeah, Rowan, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think what's really good is everybody spoke about the kind of process of realizing that you don't have to pass. Um, and I think for me, again, from a trans perspective, that's hard for me to reconcile. And I'd love to say that it was hard for me to reconcile, but it is definitely still really hard for me. Um, I, you know, all throughout high school, every school dance we had, I wore a dress, I wore heels, I put makeup on. And um, it was, it, and again, like men can do that. Like cis men can do that. Trans men can do that. But um, for me, it's not what I wanted. I wanted to pass um, as the stereotypical cis man. Um, and finally, kind of my senior year of high school, I realized what's stopping me. Um, <laughs> I, I think the only thing that's stopping me is me. Um, I tried to go to prom with uh, a girl that I really liked and they wouldn't let me because I went to a Catholic school and they claimed that um, it was same sex dating and they didn't wanna um, uh, encourage that. So um, I decided, okay, I'm gonna go by myself and I'm gonna wear the coolest tuxedo I can find. Um, and so I did, that's exactly what I did. And it was kind of 
my moment, you know, of saying, hey, I, there's nothing holding me back except me. Um, and that mental block in my brain of, oh, I have to, I have to, I'm in a small school and I have to conform and I'm, I'm nervous that if I don't, something is going to happen to me. And it was the complete opposite. I just decided to show up as myself. I was more confident than I have ever been at a school dance. I was more confident than I had ever been up until that point in general. Um, and it was, it was really good. And again, I got those confusing things. I was walking up to the check-in desk and all the teachers would say to the girls, like, oh, you look so beautiful. And all the guys, oh, you look so good. You look so handsome. I walk up to the table and they're like, ah, Rowan, you look, yeah. And they were confused. They didn't know what adjective to give me. They didn't know. Um, and I was able to completely ignore it. I didn't even care because I was, I was just feeling very confident. Um, and what Sam described about the uh, the safety of passing um, and how unfortunate that is, is is also a really big thing in the trans community. And from my experience of uh, deciding that I'm going to use, start using the men's restroom, uh, that was a big thing for me. Is I'm like I'm very small, I'm very short. I thought that that was going to be a dead giveaway. Uh, there's just there's some things that like every time I go into the men's restroom and someone walks in my heart stops for a little bit. And I normally like wait inside the stall before everybody else leaves. It's, and uh, it's not like I haven't encountered like big public restrooms where nobody's there, nobody says anything to me, but at the same time, it's that thought in the back of my head that um, I'm in danger here, or I could potentially be in danger because I quote unquote don't belong. Um, and that is kind of the unfortunate um, thing about the safety of passing that Sam was mentioning. Um, especially for me, it's, it's been hard to, to know that like, there will be some places where I will have to make sure that I pass. Otherwise it could be dangerous to me. Um, and those, those are the times where there's lots of pressure and lots of anxiety. No, you're all raising, I mean, you're all kind of touching on and raising a, a really powerful point. I mean, when you said, Rowan, that it was really your decision that you were holding you back, you also alluded to the fact that, well, was it really, though, that you were holding you back? Or was this issue of safety a part of what's holding you back? And this is something Amelia and I have sort of talked about a little bit. So and I know Amelia wants to ask something in particular about this. Yeah, um, we were wondering if any of you have experienced homophobia, biphobia, um, transphobia, and if you have, how has it affected you and what are some ways that you cope with these feelings? Haley? Um, so I, off the top of my head, I'm like not thinking of like specific instances, um, so I would just kind of call back to, um, for me, a lot of the homophobia might be the wrong word, uh, that I experience is, uh, the discomfort I feel I call, I cause people. And what I mean by that is, um, people, the fact that I share a part of myself with them makes them uncomfortable in that identity because they didn't expect that for me. Um, so I think that there is this sort of, um, and, you know, I've chatted with Sam before about this, this sort of feeling of um, you doubt yourself and you doubt um, if you are 
worthy of the expectations that other people have for you because you are changing how someone sees you. Um, and it's hard to sort of explain that in a way that makes sense to people who haven't had this experience. Um, but sometimes it can be just as upsetting if someone says, I don't support you as if they say, oh, okay. Or they change the way that they talk to you or they don't want to be like friends with you anymore. Um, and so there's sort of a homophobia that exists in just, oh, that's all I can think of you now as, um, or, you know, so that's just off the top of my head. Like I said before, um, there's definitely that, um, those stares, that judgment that you feel. Um, but I think other people wanted to speak maybe about more specific instances or different dimensions of this. So thank you so much for sharing that. Sorry for putting you on the spot. Um, Sam, did you have something to say? Yeah, absolutely. I think Haley's points are really important and we've definitely had a lot of, lot of conversations about all of this. Um, I've definitely dealt with a lot of like, definitely like outward, like towards me by phobia, but also like internalized by phobia and like hearing all of these messages about how like bi people are just supposed to like pick a side or like, you're just confused. Like you're going to make a decision eventually. And it's like, no, like this is part of my identity. And like, sometimes it's even hard to like admit to myself. I mean, I mentioned before that I didn't really have like a big coming out story and I part of me thinks it's partially like internalized by phobia and that I was scared to like just say it outwardly. And I've since joining GSA and like coming to college, it's been a lot easier to say that. But like before, like I it was very difficult for me to say like, I am bisexual. It was easy for me to be like, oh yeah, like, oh, my ex-girlfriend or my ex-boyfriend, like my ex-partner. Like it was easy to say that, but I, it was really hard to like say those words and like say that phrase. And I think it was just because of like the assumptions that people make about me because of that identity that like somehow I am like more promiscuous or I'm going to do things that other people wouldn't or that I'm a cheater because I quote unquote, have more options. And it's not really how that works, but that's a lot of those like stereotypes coming into play. And just, especially, like I said, like I'm very straight passing. So people have made assumptions about like who I'm currently with or like who I'm going to be with. Like I even had, um, like one of my past girlfriends, her like really good friend was like, yeah, this isn't going to last because I can't see Sam marrying a woman. And I was like, that is not your decision or assumption to make. And even if I didn't end up with a woman, even if I did end up with a man, like that doesn't make me less bisexual because of who I'm currently with. Like that's still a part of my identity. And I've, I've even had like some of my friends like super innocently, like they don't mean anything about like by it, but they're like, oh, like, who do you think you'll end up with? And I'm like, I don't know. Like no one, especially at my age, like as a 22 year old typically knows who they're going to spend the rest of their life with, or if it's going to be one person, like, I don't, you don't know that. I don't know that. Uh, and I think it's just like these assumptions that you have to pick that eventually like you're going to make a decision, but like it's, it's not like that. And like I said, like this internalized biphobia and just biphobia from other people, something that I've really struggled with, not so much now, but still now is like this am I gay enough? Like, am I like enough to fit into this community? And that was something I really struggled with, like being the president of the Gender and Sexuality Alliance. I was like, do I belong in this position? Like, am I like gay enough to hold this position? It was like definitely like 
frustrating and like difficult. It's like, should I hand this off to someone else? Like, am I a good representation? And I've definitely tried to convince myself and I've talked to Haley about this before. And like, she is a big advocate for making sure that bi people are visible and not letting them be erased. And I think that's super helpful and important to have a friend like that. Um, and I think it's just been really helpful to have that and understand that like, you don't have to fit in these, into these boxes. Like we've been talking about these labels that like it just be yourself and like, that's enough. You know, it's really interesting to me to hear this. It feels like there's all of these external pressures that you're talking about. And some of them are involve danger, right? The, the potential that harm can come to you from, you know, I mean, R Rowan's story about being in the restroom is really powerful to me, that level of fear. On the other hand, there's also the sort of um, pressure I hear you all putting on yourselves, like Sam saying, am I, am I gay enough? And, you know, wh what, do, how do I have to define myself? I mean, there's all kinds of ways that fear and phobia. Um, and I, it sounds to me in some ways, like even people within the LGBTQ community are internalizing some of the same phobias and belief systems and then having to, to resist them. Um, would you agree, Rowan? I definitely would agree. Um, I, I'd say the majority of the transphobia um, that I've experienced is internal. Um, I a lot of times when it comes to external factors and like outward transphobia, um, part of me feels like I haven't earned the right to say that um, people have been transphobic towards me because uh, I've I've thankfully never been in. Um, any physical danger. I've never been called any slurs. Um, but at the same time, that that thing that kind of Haley was talking about of those those kind of microaggressions. Um, whereas like, you know that you're disappointing family members. Um, I know like anytime I bring up certain surgeries or certain uh, transitions, certain members of my family will go, Ugh, or like they'll just, they'll kind of blow it off um, as if it's, uh, something big and horrible. And my, um, my mother will mention that she doesn't want to see my body horrifically scarred. She doesn't really think that certain things are going to help me. Um, and those aren't, you know, inherently transphobic. You're not necessarily saying, um, any, any, again, like any slurs or anything outwardly, um, against my identity, but you're saying something against, um, what I truly believe, uh, is going to be myself in the future. Um, you're kind of saying something against me in that sense of this is something I'm excited for. This is something I feel I need to be able to be my true self. And you're experiencing um, or you're expressing uh, disgust over it. So I think that's kind of hard is to know that sometimes you're disappointing members of your family by just being you and by just living your, your true self. And I think that's really hard. Um, living in, again, as Haley mentioned, that kind of gray area where, um, you know, I, you're not kicked out of your house and you, you still have money for college and you're, you can still sit down with your family and watch a movie. But at the same time, you know, you're in this gray area where they don't necessarily accept you, but they're also not um, rejecting you. And that gray area can be really, really difficult. Um, and it's almost it's almost harder. And selfishly, at times I've gone, well, you know, I, I wish at least 
I would have gotten kicked out of my house because then I'd, I'd know where I'd stand, you know? Like at certain points, you wish that something was more extreme so you would understand where you're at. Um, and it's, it's an extreme emotion to kind of feel and it's an extreme thought to have. But at the same time, it's, it's really hard to live in that gray area where you're not quite sure what to do. Um, and it's, that's difficult. And that feeds into your internalized um, struggles. And it's, it's all very confusing and all, it's just, it's all very hard. I don't think you really wish you were kicked out of your house, though. I mean, that's a powerful, powerful thing to say. And I, I, but I hear what you're saying. You would like you would like the honesty that comes with that. You would like someone to just say, "Here's how I really feel," um, and give it to you 100 percent straight. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Um, what do you think about all this, Haley? I know you have a lot to say on the subject. Yeah, so I just kind of wanted to put a, a point sort of on all of this and say that, you know, I don't speak obviously for every member of the community um, or even everyone sitting down to talk today, but I think we are our own worst critics and we are more homophobic or transphobic or whatever the instance may be to ourselves than anyone else could really ever be. Obviously, with the exception of like physical violence or anything like that. But in terms of, you know, I would say things to myself that I would never say to another member of the community. Things like, oh, I just like have not met the right man yet. Um, or making these assumptions about myself that, oh, well, I'm not valid because this isn't something I've always known. So clearly I can't be like everyone else. Um, and I think that that is something that I think a lot of um, gay people, trans people experience individually and think that it's not this shared experience but the reality is is that even though everyone's situation is like the slightest bit different like even if I for example identified differently than Sam we've still had these internal mono like monologues with ourselves basically implying that we are not enough um and so that is like a very real and paralyzing sense of homophobia of biphobia of transphobia that no one can really help us with because we are our own worst enemy in that sense um, so it's a very difficult experience. And again, it's one of those things that's very difficult to communicate to people um, who don't have that experience, uh, which can further feel isolating. How do you get past those feelings of um, like self-discrimination and stuff? Like, what do you guys do to feel like, sorry, Haley, go ahead. <laughs> Um, so I, I know uh, Rowan wants to speak, so I'll just quickly say that for me, it's just surrounding myself with people who like will validate me when I don't validate myself. Um, it's people who I can say, hey, you know, I'm struggling right now with, you know, my relationship with this person. Like, can can you just help me like remember that like I can feel comfortable and vulnerable around you and you can validate me. And like, it's, it's a weird thing, but um, and normally, you know, I'm the biggest advocate of you don't need external validation, like you are the best, like you are you, you're great. Um, but when you're feeling that vulnerability, it really is like surrounding yourself with people from GSA, with friends, with allies, and really saying, okay, I'm struggling right now, and I need your help and looking to other people. Um, so that's generally, it doesn't always work. Um, and, you know, it can be isolating at first when you don't have that support system around you. Um, but, you know, a very shared experience among members of the LGBTQ plus community is this idea of a chosen family, of chosen friends, and really building up that external circle. So Rowan, I don't know if you wanted to add on to that. Yeah, I, 
that's a lot of the points that I was going to make. Um, I feel like I haven't quite found a way to kind of deal with those, those, um, those internalized feelings, um, you know, other than kind of what Haley was saying was having friends that are able to kind of check you when you're being awful to yourself. Like I, a lot of the times will kind of try to justify my more feminine behaviors by saying, oh, I'm like, I'm, oh, I'm just gay. You know, I'm just really gay. And that kind of stereotype and putting it upon myself because, you know, I was raised as um, a female. So I do have some like more effeminate ways of talking of, of doing things like mannerisms. And um, for some reason, I feel the need to justify that. And a lot of the times I have a good couple of friends who are always like, no, Rowan, like you're, you're, you're bisexual. You, you really like girls and you're not just gay. You're like, like, you don't have to force yourself into that awful box of things that you would never say to anybody else, just as Haley was saying, but for some reason I say them to myself. Um, and it's really good to kind of have those people who um, will kind of check that. Um, at the same time, I have lots of friends um, here and at home who anytime I get misgendered will kind of express, oh, you know, like I, I never get how people misgender you. You know, you're just like, you're such a dude, you're such a guy. Like, I don't understand how everybody can't see it. Um, and those feelings are, are, those are good to hear as well, because it's difficult, especially when you get misgendered, that you're thinking, well, what more can I do? Do I, why don't I pass enough? What is the issue? What do I need to fix within myself? Um, and again, it's nothing that I need to fix with myself. It's just external factors. And that idea of kind of like heteronormativity, um, or cis normativity, where everybody assumes that somebody is cis. Um, and that's more of a societal thing than a me thing. And I think it's really good when people can, um, like I said, check you on that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, what are your thoughts about being LGBTQ at Merrimack and how has the college community made you feel? Um, Nicole, did you want to answer that? Sure. I think overall, I haven't been met with really like a harsh environment. I feel safe at Merrimack. I felt safe being in a relationship at Merrimack. It wasn't that I felt unsafe really ever being there. My roommates were always accepting. Um, not to say you don't hear like the little words. I think people are more so uneducated than like trying to be um, rude or like mean, um, but having GSA and having that support system that everyone's talking about, I might not know and it might, it's definitely um, apparent on campus. Like I'm sure it's there, but I haven't seen it just because the circle that I'm in um, is very accepting and doesn't um, really have any issues with anything like that. Um, and then a follow-up question for that. Um, has being part of the LGBTQ community influenced any of your educations or career paths in, in any way and why? Sam? So this has definitely impacted my career in a whole lot of ways. Um, it's kind of still figuring itself out, but um, for a long time, I really wanted to do counseling psychology and be a therapist for queer youth. Um, and that's still something I'm interested in. I'm still grappling with maybe doing higher education, but really focusing on like justice and diversity, equity, inclusion, and helping to educate people um, and being a part of this community and being a part of GSA and just all of my other involvement on campus 
kind of sparked that in me. Um, and I guess one of those, like those dream goals that you have that like, if everything was beautiful in this world, like that's what you would do. Um, my kind of dream is opening um, like a group home for queer youth, um, especially ones who are homeless or just struggling at different parts of their life. Um, so that's definitely, being a part of this community has definitely influenced my future career. That's such a great goal. I, I'm sorry, I keep thinking about some of the activists. You know me, I like my history from the 60s and 70s who wanted to do that exact same thing and did for a while. And, you know, there've been, you know, moments of success and, and moments of struggle. I, I could so see you doing that, Sam. I think that would be remarkable and wonderful. Um, what about you, Haley? What are your thoughts? It's such a great question. Yeah, so um, actually I study something very different. I'm a political science and international studies double major, um, but I've been working with my advisor uh, over the past few years. My plan is my, well, my goal, should I be accepted, is to go for a PhD in political science. Um, but my area of research is the gay rights movement and what that's meant um, in the court system, what that's meant for um, just equality in society. And I'm actually writing my honors capstone through a directed study right now on this. Um, and, you know, one of the conversations I've had with my advisor who has gotten to know me very well, like personally and academically over the past few years, he said to me on multiple occasions, like your passion for this is in, like inspiring. Like, I feel like I'm learning from you. Um, and that is just really encouraging to hear. And because this is something I want to spend the rest of my life doing. Um, it's always cool when I can make it um, academic work and it's something I can research and, you know, I don't know, I'm really enjoying doing it. And I'm hoping that this, should I pursue a career in academia would be what I would study. And your um, professor advisor, whoever said that to you is not wrong. We often learn from all of you in a big, big way. So that was not just a compliment. That was a very real thing. And I'm certain um, that that person is learning a lot from you. Rowan, do you have some thoughts on this subject? I'd, you know, I'd agree with everybody else. I think um, being part of the community has kind of opened me up to the struggles that everybody faces, but from um, a different perspective. So I'm a communications and media uh, major, and I've always really loved the idea of being a part of film and TV process and telling stories and stuff like that. Um, and I think being part of the community has kind of opened me up to this issue of kind of a lack of um, representation. And that's really difficult for many people um, in the community is, you can't see yourself. Um, you you don't see yourself on screen. You don't see yourself in books often. You don't really see yourself anywhere. Um, and that can add to that internalized issue of, well, this isn't normal. So I, I can't see it anywhere. I don't see other people like this. And, um, and I think that's something that really drives me to um, keep going in this field because it's off. It's, it's, nearly impossible to get started. Um, but at the same time, I think all of that struggle will kind of be worth it if I can give my community who has given me so much this one thing of um, being able to give them rep representation. Um, so yeah. I think to offer a different perspective, um, not toward like my career path, but toward my education at Merrimack, um, you know, being an engineering major definitely doesn't really correlate at all there, but um, a lot of the organizations that I've joined, you know, GSA, Unity House, um, a lot of the clubs that I've become a part of are related to um, 
these types of things. And I found a lot of interest in doing that. So although I can't do it in my major, learning about all that kind of stuff, I can um, implement my interest and that, I guess, mission in what I do outside of the classroom. Which is also extremely important because you're not just here in your capacity as students in classrooms, right? You're here as part of the larger ecosystem known as Merrimack College and all of the people that you all meet have people in their lives far beyond you that they meet. So every, you know, that whole idea of a ripple effect, every life touches another, I think is super important. Um, before we sort of, we're, we're kind of winding down, but there are a couple of really important questions I know Amelia and I wanted to ask. And what's coming through to me in all of this conversation is how exhausting it can be to do all of the things you all have to do to get through the day, to be who you are, to gain acceptance, to live in our world. And you've mentioned, for example, what do I do if someone in Walmart misgenders me or if a classmate uses the wrong pronouns or, and you know, I'm certain and you tell me, but I would imagine you're picking your fights because if you're fighting constantly, you would, you would probably wear out very quickly. Um, on the other hand, you probably want to be an Avenger. So um, Rowan, what do you think? I mean, is this wear you out? Do you pick your fights? Like what, what's, how do you handle all of this exhausting work of, of having to educate the world around you constantly? You know, I wish I kind of had the luxury to pick my fights. Um, I'd say I, I do a lot of the times um, for the better half of my freshman year, but not the better half, all of it. For my entire freshman year, um, I dealt with my name, uh, being my birth name in every single system in Merrimack. Uh, my Mac card had it. Anytime I went to get food, I would be dead named. Anytime I would try to go anywhere, any every before every semester, I had to email my professors and say, heads up, this is the name that's on the roster. Please don't call me that. This is my correct name and pronouns. Um, and that was exhausting, but I just dealt with it because uh, I just kind of figured, you know, this is the way things are. I'm just going to have to jump through these hoops. and. Uh, this year I started and I realized why am I jumping through these hoops, you know, um, cause I'm, I'm fighting anyways. I might as well just fight a little bit harder to try to get what I need. Um, and that whole process is everything I've gone through, um, this semester, my Mac card and my name in the system and my email and everything was changed probably like less than a month ago. Um, and yes, it finally happened, but it was so exhausting um, to have to fight with that. It, so many emails back and forth, so many empty promises that then were not um, were not really uh, fulfilled. And I I was still encountering being dead named, and I was still struggling with not being able to do certain things on Blackboard because I didn't want to have to be addressed as my birth name. Um, things like that. And it's extremely exhausting. It's, it's extremely exhausting. And that was a huge struggle. Housing for me was a huge struggle. Um, trying to be able to live with, uh, male roommates instead of female roommates. And it's, it, it was all very exhausting. Um, at the same time, the kind of driving force, the thing that kept me going was realizing that if I do this now, nobody else is going to have to go through these exhausting processes. Um, just as I have. And that's a huge driving factor for me is knowing that I can truly make a difference for trans students here. 
Um, but at the same time, you're so right. It's exhausting. And there were times I would come home after being dead named um, at the crosswalk, for example, and just be so dejected and just want to lay in my room and sit there and just like be frustrated for a little bit. Um, there were times where I contemplated switching, uh, transferring schools because I just didn't want to have to deal with it anymore. Um, but like the community here and my friends and my roommates and, and the people that I um, interact with on a day to day, just kind of being able to be my backbone. And every time I would kind of fall backwards, they would just push me back up and say, come on, let's keep going. Let's, you're so close. You just, you got to keep doing it. Um, and it, it all paid off. Um, at the same time, when it did pay off, I was so excited. I got my new Mac card. And then I was, I was, I thought I was going to want to throw a huge party. I thought I was going to want to like run at the top of the buildings and just scream and out of excitement. And I really just wanted to take a nap. Like I was exhausted. And I was so, I was so over kind of what I said, like having to jump through all these hoops to just kind of exist. Um, and it, it, it was, it was hard. You know, I felt like I have to go through extra steps. Why do I have to go through these steps when others don't? Um, and that was frustrating to kind of have to deal with. Um, but also definitely a hundred percent worth it. You know, it, it's funny. Um, when you talk about the extra steps and the people who held you up and um, all the things you've all gone through, I get this sense that um, if you're not political or an activist, when you start, there's something always trying to kind of pushing you to be a little bit more of an activist just by virtue of be, being alive and being who you are um, and trying to be able to sort of self-determine, right. To, to decide who you are and live as who you are. Um, I'd love to hear what you have to say about that, Haley. Um, so I was just gonna call back to what I had said before about how this is what um, I study. Like I read a lot of court cases in this area. I read a lot of theorists and activists and what they have to say. And you know, there's been a couple occasion a couple of occasions where you know I've been reading a case that was just so horrible in its treatment of gay persons that I had to just take a step back and because it's it's a personal investment. So even if you are, you know, you're someone who is getting involved in causes or you're someone who studies this academically or, um, you know, whenever you read or hear someone uh, discussing your rights as a debate point, um, there is that exhaustion of, you know, I'm coming to this very emotionally invested. I know that, you know, it's in the good of my community to push, to be this advocate, to say, hey, you know, this is hard to read, but I'm going to write about it and explain why it's wrong. I see this, you know, person on the internet saying this thing, I'm going to message them or I'm going to comment and I'm going to tell them why it's wrong. It's exhausting, but I think it's, you know, Rowan touched on this earlier. It's wanting to give back to the community that has given so much to us. And so sometimes when it's hard to fight that fight, when it's hard to correct people, when it's hard to, you know, push for members of the community who have less privilege than you do, um, it's really about making sure that the, the community you're a part of, whether that's Merrimack or your town, your state, is better for the people that come after you than what you had to go through and deal with. And I think that's really, um, it's exhausting, but it's something that we do. It's a labor of love. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, 
I was interested in hearing from all of you guys for this final question. Um, even though there's definitely a thousand things that you wish you could tell your younger self, um, what are some things that you wish you could tell? Um, we can start with Sam. If yeah, it's definitely hard. There are so many things. And I guess I just wish that I, this is really generic and probably cliche, but like I wish I just knew that everything was going to be okay. Sometimes you just get like really into the moment and you feel like this is the end of the world because like all you know is this moment. Like you don't know the next step. Like you don't know what's going to happen. So just realizing that like that moment is not the end all be all. Like you will get through it. And I'm very lucky that like throughout my whole life, I've had super supportive people, especially in college. Like all of my friends are amazing. And I just wish that I knew that everything was going to be okay, even when things just felt really awful. Thank you. Um, Nicole, did you want to say something about that? Yeah, so Sam like stole mine, but I'll go to my second one. So that would probably just be like knowing um, that this is so specific, but that like sexuality is fluid. Because when at first when I was coming out, I was like, you need to pick a label, you need to stick with that label, and then you're just going to plug and chug it until it figures itself out versus like now gone through a bunch of them and like figured it out well to where I'm at now and then we'll figure it out again later but just um knowing that things are going to change and it's okay to just go through those changes and learn more about yourself and and make it more comfortable for yourself. Haley did you want to say something? You know sort of going off of Sam's point that you will find people that celebrate you as you are and not who they want you to be. And I think that that has really been something that for a lot of my life, I didn't know. I thought I had to be other people. I thought I had to be a different way. Um, and it really wasn't until I got into like a year or two of college that I actually found people that like supported me no matter what I did and the way that I presented myself, whether, you know, yeah, I think just, you will find people that love you as who you are. Thank you for that. That's really powerful. Um, Rowan, did you want to say something about that? Yeah, I, you know, honestly, I would probably just say it is okay for you to take up space. It is okay for you to exist and it is okay for you to just be. Um, also, I'd probably just tell myself that you will fall in love with being yourself um, there's that first step and it's very scary, but soon you'll start to realize that it's freaking awesome to love yourself and to just be yourself and, um, to be able to confidently not only know who you are, but say who you are. Um, and I think there's something so special in that. And when I was younger, I definitely didn't see that. I only saw the scariness of it. Um, and so I just, I, kind of what everybody said I just tell myself that it would be okay and just breathe because soon you're gonna be you and that's all you need to be that's a really wonderful way to end our conversation um you know one of the things you've all talked about today or hinted at or, or touched on is the notion of chosen family and I can tell that the GSA is a kind of chosen family and um I consider you all a sort of 
additions to my chosen family. I think this has been amazing and I would love to continue this conversation on, there's so many topics we couldn't even get to today that I'd love to, to do more of these episodes with all of you and, and others who want to take up this conversation with us. So thank you for your generosity and your kindness in sharing a part of yourselves today with us and with everyone who listens to the Living Out Loud podcast. Um, thank you again. Got an idea for an episode or want to join our team? Email us at livingoutloud at merrimack.edu. Executive producers are Deborah Michaels and Tiffany Biegensterns. Audio engineering and editing by Michael Senoff. This episode was hosted and led by Dr. Deborah Michaels and senior at Merrimack College, Amelia Alger. Living Out Loud is made possible with the generous support of a Provost Innovation Grant and assistance from the Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning.